Welcome to the OCR Disrupt Podcast with your hosts, Nick Day and James Rockley. Hello and welcome. I hope you all enjoyed our first episode of the OCR Disrupt Podcast. Please do get involved if you haven't already. We've got Facebook groups out there waiting for you to get involved in the debate. So, But we are here for episode number two. We've got lots of debate to bring to you. Bit of an American feel in this episode. We're going to be talking about... Uh, so today we're going to go through um, some advice from a guy that's broken at all. That'd be me. Um, we're going to look at pull-up bars and how you can really use one at home every single day in your, your daily lifestyle and how that can affect your training. I think it's probably one of the most important aspects you can do is in changing your active daily lifestyle. Excellent. First quick debate is... Americans versus the Europeans. Who's better and why? Then heading off, uh, is racing shirtless really acceptable? I'm sure many of you that race shirtless will look forward to this conversation. I certainly am. So that's going to be debate number one, followed by debate number two. Why is everyone always injured before a race? I like to be injured afterwards, but we'll find out, won't we? That's absolutely true. Um, so then we're going to go to a kit review, the Garmin Fenix 3 versus the TomTom Multisport Watch. That is the GPS uh, heart rate version of the Multisport. Then we're going to go into a quick race overview. Haven't been that many races since our last podcast, so that should be nice, quick and easy, but a couple of shout-outs and some really good performances there as well. Then we're going to go to... Would they beat John at OCR? And today I'm arguing for John. Fantastic. And I'm throwing Nick under a bus and giving him Rocky Balboa. They were staying with the American theme. I don't think you're putting him under a bus at all. Uh, I would pick Ricky Balboa on this one. Ricky Balboa? Ricky, oh God, I think that <laughs> I would Oh, it just got easier for me, didn't it? Uh, I will be arguing Rocky Balboa for sure. I think I'm going to win that. That's cool. Uh, and finishing with our podcast competition. That's the one, yeah. Excellent. So, part one. James, it's top. Race tips from someone who has broken it all. After the UK Championships a few years back, I had a famously poor performance, did very well until the final rig, where my lack of training really hit hard and I failed the rig, uh, allowing my dear friend and enemy Dave Hoare to take the win in the whatever age group we were back then, 11 to 12s I imagine. And on that day I walked out and bought 18 pull-up bars. 18, wow. 18 pull-up bars. There are 19 doors in my house. I had one already, and then every single door in my house quickly had a pull-up bar on it, much to my mother's <laughs> dismay. Um, the government's probably, I'm assuming you've purchased that on your student loan. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yes, 18 pull-up bars I purchased, um, as well as a little flight to Sweden. But yes, every single time I walk through a door, I have to do pull-ups. Um, and what I also bought was a varying uh, set of attachments from Foz. And every single room in my house will have a different rule, or a different pull-up bar attachment, or a different type of pull-up that you have to do every time you go through the rule is normally every time you enter the room it's three or five pull-ups dependent on the attachment and when you leave the room it's 30 seconds hold you know something right. something similar uh, if it's a harder one and what that does is you know i'm sure you could do three pull-ups and then if i actually do three pull-ups again in a minute you'd be able to do three and if i actually do three pull-ups again a minute after that you'd do three and you'd be much better off than if i actually do nine pull-ups in one minute and have three minutes rest sure so the idea of that is you decrease the time under tension of the muscles you increase the recovery time for the you know, 50 odd seconds rather than just giving yourself a minute uh, or two and you really don't get as tired your work you know capacity increases the volume that you're able to do before you get tired increases and you don't end up with doms and muscle soreness the next day and i wrote an article on this previously and a lot of people uh, i know robin for example found it extremely useful so 
my advice there is if you're struggling with obstacles get a pull-up bar because at the end of the day every rig every set of monkey bars every wall you know name an obstacle nick that doesn't involve using an upper body strength balance beans maybe throw me under a bus then yeah but no you're right yeah so the majority of them especially the ones that we're all struggling and failing are going to involve pull-up strength so whether that be locking off you know so for example one in my house might be that you have to do three chin-ups every time you walk in the room but you have to hold a 30 second lock off on each arm every time you walk out now you have just done 10 pull-ups or 10 sets walking from your bedroom to your kitchen to get a cup of tea by the time you get to your third one you might not want to that's fine but if you can do six pull-ups every time you walked out even if you were supposed to do 12 that's still better than doing none sure and that's the way i really found to improve i guess it becomes habitual if you've got it in your house you're doing it all the time exactly and you know three pull-ups today is going to be six pull-ups next week um, I know that Jojo Brown from the Mud Queens, um, I spoke to her about this, and she now does this. So every single time she walks past uh, Gemma's house that she lives next to, she would do a pull-up. And I saw her the other week, and she was pushing on for five now, I think. And it was only two months ago that she couldn't do a single pull-up. Amazing. So really, really quick progress from Jojo. And it really is this just do one now, do one now, do one now. And for those that have seen James Burton's challenges, the thousand pull-ups in 30 days, yep. you know what a great way to get that challenge done. Yeah, exactly. You can raise money for charity with one hand, and yep. complete and improve your pull-up technique with the other. Exactly that. And I think really you do see people like James Burton have improved massively on obstacles since he started trying in with these challenges. So yeah, that's my advice. Get a pull-up bar, get some well, you know, a few of them. I think mine was sort of on, on offer at the time, six pound in Argos. Yeah, I think you can buy eight quid on Amazon. Yeah, like exactly like that. They screw in, they unscrew out. Um, you can get the ones that hook over door frames. I know that some places don't, or some houses are too wide for them. I'm sure that some of the people that can't do an obstacle, it's going to be suitable for. But for those that heard the first episode, the first podcast, where let's be honest, I don't get enough obstacle training in. Yeah. I have all the excuses under the sun. I've done 500 miles worth of travelling today. Yeah, yeah. I I'm always in a car. Actually, if I put a few pull-up bars around the house, I can probably get better obstacles without even calling it training. Yeah, and and this is it. So sort of try and incorporate it into your active daily lifestyles, your ADLs, and do, you know, three push-ups, for example. I had this argument with push-ups at one point for someone that was having a problem with doing push-ups, and they were like, I don't have time. And I was like, what do you do in the morning? They were like, wake up, boil the kettle. Like, what do you do when you're boiling the kettle? I just stand there. Cool, three push-ups, off you go. Job done, you know. And that's... You know, if you've got a pull-up bar next to your kettle and you're boiling it in the morning, I know you don't want to do three pull-ups in the morning. No one does. I don't. But if you want to get better at the obstacles, then sorry, you've got to find the work from somewhere. And if you don't have time to go to the gym, I certainly don't at the moment. My pull-up bar's up in my garden all the time. There's all the way around the house, different attachments, which, to be honest, aren't up at the moment. But yeah, you know, there's no reason you can't just do a pull-up every single time you walk out of a room. And you see your obstacle abilities improved like 10 doing this, yeah so in my first year of smudstacle I couldn't do monkey bars I didn't have the physical strength to hang on to monkey bars for a whole set um, and you'll see hilarious pictures of me attempting to do rings with the claw hand waving around because I couldn't do it I wasn't strong enough and I went away I failed at the UK champs I bought all those pull-up bars I bought some sets from Foz and I went out to Sweden trained for a bit came back and nowadays pull-ups make up the bulk of my training you know I live how far away is Bournemouth from the PT barn? Three and a half hours? Mm. There's not really a training centre around here. Everything was done on the basis that I was getting strong enough at pull-ups that I could adapt that strength into an obstacle. That's a really good tip. Basically, if you're struggling in obstacles, you say you haven't got time to train, then get yourself a pull-up bar, put it up, practice every time you walk through the door. Yeah. One pull-up, two pull-ups, whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And if you want to make some money for charity and earn yourself a badge as well, then check out James Burton's uh, Facebook page. And, yeah. Get as many pull-ups as you've done. I think they got up to 5,000, I think. Yeah, is the most thing. I think it's the minimum challenge. Yeah. yeah. So really, really worth doing it. Excellent. So we're into our first quick debate. Time for a quick debate. Question is, are the Americans better than the Europeans at OCR? And I tend to think that they are. I sit in a different area and I split 
you know, in the, this is the only time you're ever going to argue, find me arguing Brexit is a good thing. The Europeans are different to the UK at their obstacle ability. So you need to split, in my opinion, the UK off of Europe if you want to argue that. Because I think if you take the UK out of it, the Europeans are far better at obstacles than America. So you're saying actually we should be talking about the UK versus the Europeans versus the Americans? Yes, in my, in my opinion. And when I say Americans, I'm talking about you know, North Americans and Canadians. Are the Americans better obstacle races? And this kind of ties in a little bit to the last debate that we had. But are they better obstacle races than the Europeans and, and all the, the UK-based athletes? Now, I tend to think they are. I think... You know, you look at someone like Hunter McIntyre, who's able to move across obstacle racing and win the TMX Challenge. He's got that CrossFit fitness behind him. I mean, he looks like a proper athlete. Where did he place last year in the short course World Championships? Correct. However, to counter that, John Alban came off the Euros short course this year. Slightly different scale in terms of obstacle ability. It is a different scale, I'll give you that. I'm doing yeah. too well at this arguing stuff, aren't I? So what's your opinion on it? You've obviously said the Europeans are better than the UK. Do you think um, Europeans are better than Americans? I think it depends on the obstacle race itself. I think if you look towards America, you're going to have a huge amount of Spartan races. Uh, there's a lot of heavy carries out there. They really like to grit it out and just run hard. I don't think you see them with the kind of rigs that we see out here. I know that the rigs maybe started out there more than they did over in Europe. But I think that Europe, especially if you look at the Polish races, they are just mental. So I think that Europe is very different in terms of its obstacles to America. And therefore, I think you get different races. Also, you've got to look at terrain as well. So where would you pitch the UK? Where do you think the UK are against? You've mentioned no, Europe is a, a big continent. So that's, you know, against the, the Polish, the mm. Swedes, whatever it might be. Where do you rank the UK as obstacle races? We've got the world champion, right? So we've got to be up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do I put this? There are good obstacle races in the UK, obviously. John, the top guys are very, very good. They travel a lot don't they I mean you see Jason Burgess for example heads up to the European OCR series and a lot of the good guys do if we're talking about the best or the average it's going to change this if you're looking at the best then yeah obviously we've got John the world champion Connor who got, I think in 12th last year Tristan he wins pretty much every race yes he wins a lot of the Spartan races here he won Tough Mudder out in Germany not entirely technical races you don't see the likes of Tristan out in Toughest and that's again not a put down not a, not a problem um, it's a different race I, I think if you took the likes of Krista Selman, who obviously came just behind John at a toughest race, and put him in a Spartan race in the UK, I think Krista would win. But I don't think if you took the quickest guys in England and put them in toughest, that they'd win. Well, John does. I'm ignoring John in this. John is, well, John is Norwegian well, in my mind now. Connor. Connor's come second or third, was it Oslo last year? Yeah, yeah. He does get up there, and I think Ross Brackley's performed pretty well. Yeah, Brackley came third in the tour overall last year. But I'm suggesting if you put them through the whole series, I don't think they'd do just as well, I think... Maybe the Scandics have just got them. But I may be wrong. And, you know, I haven't seen them. The the polls, um, obviously, they've got really long obstacles. But actually, when you get to the final results, you don't tend to see them that often on the podium. Or have I got that wrong? Uh, No, you're you're completely right. No, no, completely, you're right there. And then that's, you know, I guess part of it. I guess their obstacle races are more towards what I would like as an obstacle race rather than a runner's race. So the second you take them out and put them in a running obstacle race... Maybe they don't do as well. But I know they gave Leon a very good run for his money at the Polish Champs the other week when Leon went and tried to run along. I don't think he did particularly well. So it's all about the Americans. See, for me, I think they're better on the basis that... And we're talking about averages, I definitely yeah, yeah. think they're better. But oh, I think yeah. they just... They start their... They, they seem to be more passionate about functional training than we are. It's a lifestyle for them. It is a lifestyle. You know, they're now viewing obstacle racing as an alternative to track and field, as yeah. an alternative to swimming, whatever it might be, where, you know, sports really ingrained from a younger age. Yeah. Over here, we tend to 
fall into OCR by doing one race, getting muddy, loving it, and then continuing and realizing that actually the fields aren't necessarily that strong in terms of yeah. races that you're racing against. So you think, oh, I've got quite a good result there. I'll keep doing it. Yeah. And certainly, I've got into it. I mean, I, had, I did a tough mud in a wave. I think I won the wave, which was like my sixth wave in, meant nothing. But for my first wave, yeah. I was really excited. And that got me hooked because I did well in a, an untimed race. Yeah. I just knew that no one overtook me. And I kept doing it. So it made me feel good. When I was, you put me in a triathlon age group field and I wasn't, you know, nowhere to be seen. So, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm better at this. I'll keep doing it. Yeah. But I feel like the Americans are better because I feel like for them, it's more of a choice. It's not because they're falling into it and I'm actually good at it. They're actually going, I'm going to be an obstacle racer. I think in a weird way, maybe the distance as well plays a big part. Because if you think, you know, I quite often see Americans saying, I'm off to this race this weekend. I'm traveling now. And it's Wednesday. And they're about to start a two-day drive to a race. We just pop in the car for half an hour. And I think if you're investing two days in driving to a race, you're going to be more invested in training for that race. That's a fair point. I don't know how the rest of the UK train, but I think that they're more emotionally attached to it, more emotionally involved with it, and definitely train harder. I mean, you look out there, you've got Spartan Pro Teams, you've got Fit Aid Pro Teams, you've got any number of sponsored professional teams, supposedly, of which I think a few of them are genuinely professional. We don't have a professional team out here. No, we don't. There's USA OCR team. Yeah. They've got an elite Spartan USA team. Yeah. I think they've got a proper US federation for obstacle racing, which yeah. in the UK we really don't have at the moment. No. And it just seems to be a little bit more organised. And when it's more organised, you're going to get bigger names and people wanting to come into it. And there's probably bigger prize money as well, which is going to get ex Olympians, isn't there, that are racing? Yeah, yeah, yeah completely. Yeah, exactly. I think Nicole, who won. The sprint race last year, I believe, is ex-Olympian. That may be a complete lie, but I believe she is. Well, she came second at the um, Northern American OCR World yeah. Champs long course. And you know, Lindsay Webster, everyone knows. I mean, they have some really... And Ryan Atkins, yeah. when John is in there, he pretty much wins everything. I think he's like the Ross McDonald of the uh, American world, though, isn't he? He just comes second at everything otherwise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not a bad place to be. Don't get me wrong. I'd quite like to be second at everything, but yeah, no. I think cause even when John's not there at Spartan, someone like Cody Moat will just pop up and take it. Hunter McIntyre will take a tough sure. moment. And Killian. Killian. So, yeah, and I think we've listed down here Hunter, Killian, Ryan, and Kobe. There's just four absolute monsters. So, yeah. That's Robert Killian, not Killian Jordan, in case it Yes. It's fully up to speed with, uh, with OCR. So, I mean, yeah, back to the like American versus European. I think it's very, very different. If you took, you know, Hunter failed a rig last year, not saying he's not great at rigs, not saying he hasn't improved, but he failed a rig last year. Killian failed a rig a few years back at the Worlds. Again, phenomenal athlete, not saying he's not improved, not saying he's not any better. But if you put them into a completely technical race like the Europeans, I still think, the, like the European Championships, I still think you'd have the European champion people coming on top of it. It looks like if the OCR is going to genuinely be an Olympic sport later, mm. which is ultimately what I think a lot of people do mm. want, yeah. then it's going to have to have a set format at some point, which is probably a separate debate on how we get, get to that. But ultimately, it's more likely to be over a shorter distance because it's going to need to be TV friendly. Yes. So it's unlikely to be a 15K. Well, I think 15K might be like the classic version. You know, we've got marathons in I there. Can't we? the Olympics, though. I reckon it's going to be like a best part of 3K max, oh, television-heavy, no. stadium-bound, set obstacles I think under that kind of setup which is similar to like a TMX type race which I think is more likely to get approved at Olympic level if you can standardise it yeah. that's where the Americans I think would absolutely smash it I, I agree so I, I think agree. we've got the better runners yep Definitely, I mean, John being a prime we're both, example. both in agreement with that. The UK has some of the best runners. Although, you know, Ryan Hunter, they're still unbelievable runners. So. But they are unbelievable runners. But I think they've, they've also got the strength. I mean, Hunter McIntyre's got to be 80 kilos, 82 kilos. I, I, I'd say on the rest, I'd say pushing towards 90. I don't know how high he, tall he is, but he's a built lad. And Ryan Atkins is certainly a lot heavier than John. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're pushing, they can push some weight. Yeah. You know, they are strong, strong guys. And I think if you are going to standardise it, or even on a Spartan race, I mean, John uh, had one in 2014, yeah. is it? But, I mean, since then, you add the weight that we have at Spartan races now, 
I guess the question probably is a separate debate is what is the true obstacle race what's the ideal obstacle race and this then is, grade who's best and yeah this is what I'm trying to say I'm trying to say if you set an American race you're going to have American winners the Spartan races are very heavy out there whereas if you put it into a European championship race that's all quick technical rigs I think you're going to get the monkeys of Leon and the people that really really train hard for that so I think you have to suggest your race you know you have a look at the world two years ago when it was cold and wet sure. two years ago three years ago yeah higher yeah and they all just dropped like flies. Obviously, the best didn't, but the average did. But if you put it in a hot, hot, hot Sahara desert... Or altitude. Uh, altitude, there you sure. go. It's all going to change your results. So the problem with obstacle racing is you can't decide which nation's the best because you can't decide which races to standardise it by. I think the UK World Champs, if it's wet this year and it's muddy... It's Nuclear gonna, is a cold place. It's going to throw up some interesting results. Yeah. You would like to think the UK could really... Obviously, we have a bigger following uh, yep. presence there than anyone else. You would like to think would do pretty well, both because of numbers and because of the conditions. Yeah. Even yeah. if it's a, a hot day, which is probably unlikely in the middle of October, but if it is, I still think because of that course, it's just always difficult. Yeah, yeah. And as silly as it sounds, I actually don't know if any of these American names or so even some of the Europeans will have ever run on mud. Sure. This is a discussion I had with Rich, a good friend who's a very good runner, and he's a run coach, and he was saying, you know, there's a different technique to running cross country to running on the mud because obviously he ran nuclear last year. And you can't stride out the back of your leg, you know, you can't really push back because you're just going to slide your foot. So I think they're going to have to adapt their technique and even just the running distances. I think we're both predicting another John Alvin win. I think it'd be silly not to. Although, bear in mind that John normally takes a huge amount of time on other people on the mountains. And this is flat. So... I expect him to win, but I don't think it's going to be as easy as some of the other ones. Great. I don't know if we finished that debate. I think we have come to the terms we need a, we need a standardised race. Yeah. So if you've got a standardised race, give us a shout and we'll go with it. Well, I will say, though, which leads us nicely into the first debate in our OCR Disrupt conversation, is I think one of the reasons I think Americans are better is they all look like fine-tuned athletes. They're all jacked. The reason I know this is because they can't seem to run with a top one. Yes. OCR Disrupt, attempting to tackle controversial conversations. Why offend you here? Why do you run without a top one? I don't get it. We all know if you've been training hard, you've probably got a six pack and you're probably quite strong. But why, in particular in America, do they have to always show it off? <laughs> Any excuse to get a tan on, I guess. I'm, uh, Is it a tan? I'm Is rather pasty, so I'm hiding anything I can find. But yeah, it's. Uh... I'd get it if we had crowds of women coming. You know, to watch you in a stadium-based atmosphere. You want to, but we're usually covered in mud. It's cold. You've got barbed wire obstacles, which is just going to... Maybe it's just me being a wimp. It's just going to hurt. I don't get it. So I'm going to put my thoughts out there. I don't understand. I'm, some of my really good friends, uh, Will Harbour, Tony Leary, they all run shirtless. And I've said it to their faces. I'll say to anyone else. I don't get it. So yeah. I'm happy to be told or, or explain as to why the, there is a racing benefit apart from looking good. Racing topless, but I don't get it. In no other sport would you have it either. Some of these guys take it really seriously. I mean, Ryan Atkins will run topless, Hunter Hunterman, they're really serious but athletes, but why? Mainly must be a benefit I don't see. Mainly in America though. Yeah, I mean Americans, if you look at the start line for the Noram I don't think there was anyone on the front line that had a top one. No, I reckon it's an ego thing. I think maybe it's a um, an intimidation tactic. You it know. works on me. I'm going like, to start lining like everyone like, you know, a bit of male porn, just going, <laughs> <laughs> these guys look like... Whatever animals. you're into, mate, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just look like animals. Like, 
I'm obviously just not. I, I guess everyone has their own way of regulating their temperature. Maybe some people feel too hot. Maybe vestige people, maybe they don't want to get stuck on barbed wire. Maybe it is just a case of when they're scratched to pieces by barbed wire and bleeding, it's intimidating. I, I honestly don't know. So I'm criticising it, but I'm really tempted to try it. Because I want to know if there's a benefit. I think I've done it, and I honestly don't know why. So, yeah, I've always just gone back to wearing a team top in the end. I just always look at my shirts at the end of the race. Maybe I'm just really, Well, I am really clumsy. I don't see me off school all day. <laughs> I'm probably the clumsiest certainly the heaviest footed runner in any OCR and probably the clumsiest as obstacles so maybe this is why my shirts get ripped to shirts yeah. and I come over here and go if I wasn't wearing that shirt that would be me maybe they just hate laundry and can't afford new shirts could be you're doing very well at sitting on a fence <laughs> yeah. I'm, not getting, I'm not getting your view uh, what's your view what's your view be honest not fun I don't understand it. I think maybe it's an intimidation tactic. doesn't normally work on me. We've got other people that like to dress up as weird and wonderful things. There's a should, guy, we right. have, should I have an issue with this? Yeah, I think they must have their own reasons. If you're one of the people that likes to run topless, then give us a shout, because I've got no idea on this one. I've tried it, didn't enjoy it, went back to wearing a top. Even on cargo nets, you know, when you whack it over the top of your back and you arch your back to sprint through, and it just takes the sting out of the net. It's so useful to have one there, but I don't understand it, so I, I've got no idea. I'm, I'm lost for words. I just wonder if it's because these guys, let's be honest, for the people I even quoted that, that run shirts, they train, it's their life. Totally yeah. It trains so hard for these races. Mm. He is absolutely dedicated. So the kudos where it is, much harder than I do. And maybe it's just with all that effort, you go, you know what, I've earned this. Yeah. I've hurt this body. You're going to see it. <laughs> it's when he starts whacking his kit off to go and help a kid up a ramp. <laughs> like he did in Oslo. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. So maybe that's it. Maybe it's just an ego thing of going, you know what, I've worked really hard for this. I am chiselled out of Spartan. Or maybe it's the Spartan thing. You know, I am Spartan. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I'm topless. This is, this, is, this is how strong I am. And maybe, as you say, it's, it, the intimidation thing does work. Yeah. I do look next to him and go, that guy's ripped, I've got no chance. I feel like this is one of those um, moments where the picture of me running in sports bra is going to resurface for intimidation purposes, but yeah. <laughs> I think it should. Yeah, I don't. I know intimidation can work. I once did a Spartan Beast, and um, I won't name the competitor, but um, I went past them in Spartan Beast, and the guy turned around and said to me, well, you've got running, I had Solomon shorts on, and I've got an Ironman tattoo as well. Mm. He went, oh, you're a real runner because you've got running shorts on and an Ironman tattoo. There's no point in me chasing you down. I mean, I was hanging out my ass at the time. But, <laughs> It gave me a little bit of added yeah. motivation. Just what I was wearing, which was a pair of Solomon running, ultra running shorts and a tattoo. I need to get an Iron Man tattoo. And, there you go. Yeah, I need to fake it. But It's yeah. amazing how psychologically, though, that little, those little things that I would even paid attention to. Yeah, I would never have picked that up. It was picked up and the guy was like, well, I'm not going to catch you, so I'll let, I'll let you go. I guess that's a mentality. My mentality would be like, well, I'm going to beat you, Iron Man. I guess it's how far you're hanging at the time, right? <laughs> yeah, probably quite far if I'm with you. But look, have a look. We've got, go to our Facebook group, get involved in the conversation, particularly if you like to run shirts, because it's something I don't fully understand. I'm happy to be educated. I don't really know why it upsets me, except for the fact it does genuinely intimidate me. Maybe that's why I don't like it because ultimately it, you know, it probably affects my performance on the start line. But go to our group, facebook.com groups forward slash OCR Disrupt Podcast and yeah, join the conversation if you can. A bit like last week, I'm clearly going to be the full guy for probably a lot of backlash. I'm doing quite well at this. I'm not getting any abuse so No, far. no, this isn't the rugby that we got to know and love. It seems to be that it's a bad cop. Yeah, yeah, maybe I'm not as bad as people think. Uh, what's your next race, Nick? My next race is funny enough, Spartan Windsor. Cool, so if everyone could rock up to Spartan Windsor topless, I reckon you could push Nick 40 places down the rankings on that one. <laughs> it probably would. I might, I might be on there, Thomas. I need to find out what the benefits are. I might do it. End up getting a podium or something and going, hey, I'm doing this again. <laughs> but don't forget to wear sun cream. <laughs> Good job. Safety first.
but it does lead us a little bit into debate number two because I think the two are associated. So I'll let you kick us off just in case I get an opportunity to be good cop. Oh, I'm doing so well as well. Um, so why is everyone always injured just before a race? We spend all of our time training, prepping, tapering, although I still don't really know what that word actually stands for and means. And then you get to the start line and you've pulled your toe or you've you know got a splinter as you walk in from the car. Why is everyone always injured just before they walk to a race? And I'll throw this one over to you nice and early. Oh, yes, you're making me back. Yeah. (laughs) Clearly, it has to come down to ego. Yeah, I guess that there's obviously a few reasons, but ego is probably going to be the biggest one, isn't it? You rock up to a race, you think, yeah, today's my day. Uh, We've all been guilty of it. We said it beforehand. Maybe not too much with ego, but, you know, you're not going to win. So, yeah. Give yourself a way out. Me me and James were, were looking at... Facebook prior to, I won't say which places, but it was just interesting how many posts came out by mm. people saying, oh, really looking forward to it, but I've got a calf strain. Really yeah. looking forward to it, but I haven't been sleeping. Really looking forward to it, but, you know, whatever it is. And it's funny that you've been really looking forward to a race for so long, mm. and suddenly just for a race, almost half the field are saying there's some kind of... Niggle. Niggle. Yeah, yeah. And you'll know in the back of your mind if you've ever done that. And I'll tell you that I've done it. It's not that it's not genuine. They're not genuine niggles. Like, yeah. We're training so hard, you pick them up. Yeah, I yeah. think maybe they just become heightened pre-race. But it also gives that little way out if you don't perform as you want it. Yeah, yeah, no, completely. I think that you've definitely got the performance anxiety that we were saying beforehand. So people that are worried they're not going to perform particularly well and on a psychological level, obviously that's going to influence how they feel and react to pain. So maybe they've got an injury that's pre-existing. Maybe they rolled their ankle two months ago, three months ago. They sort of trained through it and pushed through it. They're getting anxious. They're feeling more pain. They start moaning about it. I guess that could be a genuine, plausible version of that, if I'm being completely utterly objective. I guess you get... I mean, for me, if I get beaten by someone prior to the race, you check who's racing, you've seen... I won't go names, but there are a couple out there. And you've seen the post the night before where they've gone, um, you know, everyone's going, good luck tomorrow, you'll smash it. And they've written something like, I've got a bit of a hamstring strain, just going to take it easy. Yeah. And then you get hammered by them the following day. Yeah. Like, A, that makes me feel even worse. Yeah. Does it heighten their win, or do you think they never had that injury in the first place? I think place? maybe some of them are sort of playing a psychological game, and they're trying to psych out, trying to make them think that they're injured, and then when they are in front of you, they are playing on that, and that you're thinking that. I guess I've always sat the other side where I've always actually been injured. I walk into races with broken feet and broken hands and I'm like, look, it's not going to go well, I'm just going to finish the race. Occasionally, you know, things haven't gone badly and I've been able to run and especially in the UK where obstacles are a lot easier, not done horrifically, not done well, but I've never walked into a race and been like, yeah, broken to pieces against a good field and then won, you know? Mm. So I guess I sit on the other side of things. But yeah, ego has to play a massive part of that. I think maybe it's fueling the ego, maybe it's a psychological thing. Is ego, question for you, James, is ego bigger in OCR than other sports? We talked about people running their tops off, talked mm. about the injury thing. In your view, do you think that egos play a bigger part in OCR than other sports? In OCR, you do seem to get a lot of it. And what is even more interesting is if someone's ego gets cut down, they tend to fall from grace very, very quickly in OCR. So I think maybe it is. I think people don't guard their ego as much and they are more willing to sort of throw it out there and, and blame injuries for an ego problem. So yeah, I think in, in this sport it really is. I wonder if it's because OCR, you're just that much more exposed. If you're doing a triathlon, you can either, you, can, you don't do it unless you can swim, cycle and run. Yeah. So you're never going to fail those things. You might not get time, but you're never going to fail. But in an obstacle race, there's always a chance that 
that somewhere you could fail. I think it could be something you know you should be able to do. Mm. Talk a little about you failing monkey bars. When really, you, don't, you shouldn't do an obstacle race and, and race it yeah. if you can't do monkey bars. Yeah. But you give yourself a way out early doors just in case you yeah. can't do something. I guess it's similar, not quite the same. Walked into the European Championships this year as a, uh, this year as a course tester. Now, I'd spent four months in this very room that we're in now studying, not training at all. I, the pull-up bars were off the house. It was just study pardon me so yeah when I went up there there was no excuses it was just that I'm not fit enough and I think that's a very different excuse to I'm injured and I got my arse handed to me and openly said on Facebook and social media like I didn't deserve to do any better even even though it was a course test and there was no pressure on sure. didn't deserve to do any better failed a number of obstacles haven't trained not fit enough not injured just haven't trained not fit enough whereas this side of things is purely to protect it's a defence mechanism yeah, I think I think that's what it is and I think if, also a lot of people think we're mad for doing it mm. well this is the other thing as well you go into triathlon and you speak to the best athletes they'll all say yeah I had a bad race that's fine yeah I had a bad race that's fine could you name maybe they're upset their bike got broken that's yeah. upset well yeah it's can, can you name a person that walks off an obstacle course and just goes have a bad race John said it once I think can't, can't think of many no no no. And what amuses me is when people go, I had an injury, and then they walk back on to do another wave. After oh, we're scared, they, we are, OCR races are scared of failure. Yeah. That but that's because in triathlon, the, the field is so competitive that if it's all or nothing, you know, they do well and they finish the race and they win, or they don't risk it, you know. Yeah, exactly. Whereas in us, the field is so uncompetitive in like not a, an offensive way. The guys that are out there are very, very good and they're working so hard, but they haven't trained all their life for this. They haven't had bad races before. You know, people like Tom Tweddle, who's an incredible person, he's just sort of walked into the sport from being a very good runner and he's winning nuts, he's winning this, he's winning this, but he hasn't had to fight for it. So he's not had the close calls and the, you know, the, oh, I had a bad days before, I guess. Now he's not one that pulls an injury card. Tom's a solid lad, but you know, he's not had that so had a bad day. now as we have this conversation, if... We notice it because we're in the OCR community, but actually, are people using... Oh, I say excuses, because usually there is a niggle. Yeah. yeah. It's just when you suddenly see them perform and smash it, you think, well, the niggle couldn't have been that bad. Yeah. But is it because outside of the sport, inverted commas, they know that they've probably told their friends and family, who probably all think they're mad as hatters oh, yeah, the OCR, yeah. that if they then fail the OCR after saying they're going to do it, it's a bit embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a good example, and I, was, I mentioned it in the last podcast, but the Worlds, I did an obstacle like 18 or whatever times it was yeah. next to Natasha Mansell. I don't know how much that was for me, for my own personal gain, or for not wanting to fail something because everyone else at home was expecting me to do well. So it's like, I mean, that was no injury thing, but it's mm. that constant, I've got to keep doing this. Whereas if it was a triathlon, or maybe I was wrong, you know what? Fell off my bike. Had a bad day. Just came off. Crashed the bike, yeah. These things happen, you know? I think we put a huge level of pressure on ourselves. Generally, yeah. I think OCR races out there that, are, you know, sign up for a spot, whether it's your first race or your tenth race, every race we do well and we put additional pressure on, additional I pressure. I think it's about time for me to go to Bad Cop, but I think a lot of it is the fact that we are in this sort of pseudo-national team thing where it's self-appointed into a national representation, you know, Team UK. I cannot fail because I'm representing my country. Okay. And I think a lot of people place a lot more pressure on themselves and therefore their ego has to become a lot more stronger because of that. People at home that have paid the sponsorship for that athlete to go, whether they are rightfully a UK athlete or not, we're not expecting them to fail. They're expecting them, you know, they're Team UK athletes, they're the best in the world. So I guess that will play a huge role in it as well. I get that. I mean, I fail in my first Worlds in Ohio. I lost my band. I had the Team UK kit on. I was very proud of it. Mm. I was super excited to go out. No one would have known who I was at that point. Probably no one does now. But I remember, how, you know, that was really hard to face up. That yeah. was difficult. Because I think, again, I put that pressure on myself. I wanted to do well. Yeah. And those outside of the sport... 
are going well as part of Team UK is out there. But you know, he did have to qualify. He had to go and do something. He had to go and race, and you know, at least there is some kind of qualifying criteria. And that's a separate debate on whether we. Should... Even if it's a bit tame, but yes, it is a separate debate. But no, I think um, if we sort of drag it back to the realms of where we started, egos can play a massive part. People will be training through injuries, so they will have niggles. Maybe some of them are like, I have a niggle beforehand, and then sprint off the line, and maybe the adrenaline gets them through the niggle. Maybe they forget about it. Maybe they run it off. You know, we've all walked off a knock before, so there's always going to be those. We're here to have an opinion. Yeah. yeah. Anyone else is welcome to have one and share theirs on the, on the group. If we pull together every single competitor's public post pre-race, yeah. So it's, it's ever been, yeah. I'm not going to happen. We did that. We have to get statistical analysis. I've asked you now how many of those would genuinely think it's going to affect them versus those that put it to safeguard their ego. What would be your response to those percentages? You know, in your view? so I don't know. I honestly couldn't tell you. Have a guess. Fifty-fifty. <laughs> if I if I had to guess, like, because it's sort of smack bang in the middle. I'd go 50-50. Who knows? But yeah, I think a psychology questionnaire should be given out at the start of every race. But look, get involved. All I'll say is at the back of your mind, if you're listening to this, and hopefully there are people out there listening to this, <laughs> otherwise it's just, just me. I can repeat. tell you that I've definitely done it. So, you know, I'm not putting it out there to criticise anyone or to say, I know what that feels like. I've always had niggles. Yeah. But sometimes when you feel like you're in a race where you have to, you, know, you should do well, the niggle over in your head exasperates. Mm. You, someone says, you're going to win this. You go, well, actually, I've got a bit of a niggle. And it's like an, almost an instant response to say, oh, but I might not. Yeah, but yeah, I guess next time I'll have to do the debate on people who walk off the course injured or injured in inverted commas, shall we say, and then return and complete the race or support others and do that kind of thing. So that's the next debate, I guess. Sure, we'll, we'll leave it here. But yeah. else, if you've got any other debates you want to raise, mention it in the group. Love to hear everyone's views on this, if you don't mind. I appreciate people who probably won't want to get involved in this one because they might be a bit too nervous about... Man up, get on with it. Man <laughs> up. <laughs> Sorry, gender neutral up, get on with it. <laughs> okay, cool. So uh, we're going to go into a kit review. Our kit review. Garmin Fenix 3 versus the TomTom Multisport. Now, James, you've had both of these watches, so um, kick us off. Pretty easy win for me. I don't really know why we're wasting five minutes on this. <laughs> uh, no, the Garmin is a phenomenal watch. Its tracking data is outstanding. Mine has been dropped from height far too many times. It's been smashed into walls. I've knocked it on parkour bars. It's unbelievable. It's durable. It's done an Ironman with me. I, I cannot rate it high enough. The battery life on it is phenomenal. The TomTom, I'm not a fan of. Okay. Um, it took far too long to get signal. The strap broke. Heart rate never really worked on me, which I don't know about the Garmin. I've never had one with heart rate. I know they had a music feature a while back. Mine never seemed to work. So I just had problems with it. Well, I can't what we're comparing, just so people know, we've got the TomTom Adventure GPS Multisport Watch. Price of stuff from 269.99. There are a few additional features to those that you often see at races. So this one has fitness aging, VO2 max testing, personalised workouts, uh, built-in heart rate monitors has got the integrated music player which I mentioned before yeah. uh, the GPS and uh, multiple sport modes which are things like hike, bike, swim, gym I think you can ski and run free and, and things like that so yeah, it's pretty comprehensive yeah. one thing you need to factor in is the Fenix 3 oh, I have both watches by the way as well for my sins uh, the Fenix 3 is £429.99 <laughs> so you're going to expect quid. it to be better yeah. because it is a lot pricier it has um, a lot more complex features on it, like things like vertical oscillation and yeah. running, gives you stride length. Gives you, and if you're into your data, I mean, as a no-brainer, yeah, as a win for the Fenix 3, I think, it, it's, it kind of does everything. But do people out there don't pass up the budget for 
a fun extreme. Do they need to? Would you recommend they save for it? Do you reckon they go? Because I think the Tom Tom Multiple is one of the best alternatives. I think it's the best alternative brand. I reckon there are other Garmin watches that are better than the Tom Tom Multi Sport for the same price. I have to look at durability here in terms of our sport can chuck all sorts at you. You know, sure. you could be falling off a wall, you could be swimming through mud, smashing it on rocks. The Tom Tom's made of plastic, if I remember rightly, or mine was. Yeah, yeah, the plastic, so it's got like a glass screen. Yeah, whereas the Garmin is made of titanium, or some of them are. Mine is probably steel, I don't know what it is. You can get a sapphire on the Garmin as well if you want to pay a little bit more. Yeah, I had a sapphire version. And solid, you know, it's got a few scratches, the bezel's gone a little bit. But, yeah, I, I don't worry about it getting broken, whereas when I wore that, and when I borrowed one of those during the nuts when I broke a watch strap on a Fenex, I was more worried about losing it, more worried about damaging it, I had to change how I was doing technique because I didn't want to break it. So I'm a little bit more cautious with one of those. Not to say it's not a great watch. I just think for our sport, in which we chuck ourselves around, sure. smash our wrists on whatever, it's not necessarily the most... Thompson does have an integrated music player. If you like training, you like running with music. Does the new Garmin have that? I know it's not the one we're going for, but I feel like Garmin's new ones do. I'm not, I'm not too sure about the new ones. The Fenix 3 doesn't. I've got the one with the heart rate on, on, on the on watch the itself. Yeah. You know, but then I guess technology's moved on. Most people have Bluetooth headphones. We're also not allowed to run with music in. Not in races, but for training. For training, yeah, I'd run with a small iPod, I guess, but yeah. So on the Thompson watch, I've had three of these versions before I finally upgraded to the Fenix 3. And I have yeah. to say, it was, the, the problem with the Fenix 3, the, the obstacle, for want of a better word, to market, is just the price. Yeah. Um, it's a hell of a lot of money for yeah. a watch and an awful lot to justify. And what I want to get clear in this review is, do we think, really, I think we both agree the Fenix 3 is the best watch. You'd yeah. expect it to be when there's a £160 price differential. Yeah. For those that just can't stretch to a Fenix 3, is it worth waiting a little bit longer for it, or do you go and get a TomTom now multi-sport and start start racing with early? For me, I had three TomToms. All but the first two, I thought the third broke yep. in races. So when you say multi-sport, it's definitely not multi-sport for OCR. Yep. The last one I broke was at Survival of the Fittest, and it was just coming down a cargo net, and it just got caught in. This is my point. The, you know, the Garmin may be more expensive, but if your TomTom breaks through something that isn't covered by the warranty then it's a lot more expensive to replace it. However, for those that have broken TomToms, they've got any hidden in drawers or you broke in your races, I wrote to TomTom and said, if it's a multi-sport watch, it should work yeah. for multi-sports. And, you know, okay, OCI isn't one of the sports that you feature as, you know, being able to record data for, it shouldn't break. And they did send me a, a, refurb, a refurb one for about 30 quid. I had to pay 30 quid for them to look at it, change it. But I did get a new version. Twice that happened as well. I so you spent 60 quid on top. I have 60 quid on top, but I did get two new... Actually, the customer care is pretty good. Yeah, the thing is, with Garmin's customer care, it's so good because you don't have to use it. No, this is also true. My, my Fenix 3 has been faultless. Yeah, I can't fault mine. But you are paying for so many features that you just don't... Well, in my view, you just don't use. I'm sure there are many features on the TomTom that we would never use. I don't know if there is. No? It's, it's pretty simple. It's got GPS... You know, if you're going to have it, you're going to look. At, everyone's going to look at their fitness age and go to yeah. max if it's there. Personalized workouts, you may or may not use that feature, but you're going to use the sports mode. You're going to use the built-in heart monitor, and you're probably going to use the music player. That is the watch. That's that's all it has. Okay, in which case, then yeah, you know what? For the price, it is. That's pretty decent. I would only be worried about the durability and breaking it. So I was surprised, especially at Tapas Oslo. I think I saw more TomTom watches than I saw Fenix. Really? On Paul Garmin's, yeah. Lots and lots of people have the TomTom watches. The Fenix is quite heavy and bulky for the wrist. They are heavy and bulky, and I would say actually the screen isn't as clear. For me, the TomTom, especially this new multi-sport, has a really Well, if you look at the screen. new screens for the new Garmin's... But then you're going up a whole other hundred. You are, but... Yeah. It's really clear. It's yeah, really yeah. simple. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's got a higher contrast ratio than the... But it is that sort of LC screen that is going to damage quite easily, I guess. True. So, performance. We're both agreed, Fenix 3. Every day. No doubt. Value? 
This is why I'm not too sure, you see. I don't know if 49 is achievable for everybody. I don't think it's achievable for everybody, but I think it is the best value based on the fact that you don't have to worry about it breaking. You know, if you broke... I'm sure you wore your Garmin a lot more than your TomTom. Even I, when, I, I literally, the battery life... It's unbelievable. I live in my Garmin. Yeah. I live in And it. if you'd worn your TomTom as much as that Garmin, I'd imagine you'd spend another 100 quid's worth of replacements as well. Possibly. I have to say, for those that haven't uh, think about what to buy, if you have a TomTom watch or you have an Apple watch or anything like that, you're charging it all the time. Yeah. You know, battery life just doesn't last. Garmin, 50 days? It's amazing. Yeah. Battery life's really yeah, good. Exactly. I think that's, that's probably the biggest feature for me. Yeah. Forget all the, the vertical oscillations and the pace. You know, the watches do what they need to do, but not having to charge it all the time and be able to know at a race that the battery's yeah. definitely going to last. The reason I bought the Fenix 3 was because I was doing the Rat Race Dirty Weekend Ultra. Okay. And I had the Garmin 635, whatever it was at the time. Um, lovely watch, loved it to pieces. Um, but the battery life just wasn't good enough. So I went for the Garmin because of it. And I finished that race and it still had 75% of its battery, if I remember rightly. And it's all like, no, I've been out there for 8, 10 hours. You can't still have the battery. So despite the 160 price difference, we're both going brand new Fenix 3? I am, yeah. Features? Fenix 3 for me. I just don't think you need the music. No, I don't. If you go need music when you're running, get a pair of Bluetooth headphones... You know, MP3 and, and off you go. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, Fragility, definitely, Phoenix 3, and wins. It's solid. You could throw that off of a crane. I don't think I've, broken, crack. I've broken two TomToms uh, in two races. Ease of use? Ooh, probably 50, 50. one of the TomTom, if I'm honest. You reckon? As with less features, just easier. It is, but Garmin's not exactly hard to use when you, you know, start, start, go. The so, most basic features, no. If you had to grade the two, just has less for me yeah. the TomTom would win it. No, that makes sense. Yeah, I can go with that. But overall, both agree, Phoenix 3. Yeah, easy win. Easy win. Great. If there's any other alternative watches you guys are using and you want us to have a look at, we want to uh, throw into the conversation, put them on the group, we'll take a look. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So, part five. Obstacle course, race results, upcoming events and athlete shout-outs. Quick race overview. Yeah, so we've just had Nuclear Blast and Nuclear Blackout, which looked like they're doing pretty well for your team. Yeah, some fantastic results. Uh, Daniel Corner, who's just joined the team, I think absolutely destroyed the Blast course. Yeah. Which is really good to see, because he hasn't done that many OCRs, but the ones he has done, he's pretty much won everything he's, he's tackled so far. Yeah, seems to be doing pretty well in his first few races. And Dassos, with, uh, with hardly any recovery following Toughest Oslo, straight back into it with, uh, with a strong second place as well. And a good third place for Mark Dixon there of Team Nuts as well, which is always good to see. Really consistent there. for Mark. He got third place last weekend as well against another strong field. He's really improving. He's doing well, he's doing well. Uh, first place for the women, Lillian Keller, who I'm afraid I don't actually know. Okay. Um, but she has come in front of Monique from Wild Phoenix. And that is not an easy thing to do. So no. seriously well done there. Excellent. Third place was Gemma Barrett-Picton who's got another very respectable time there so well done to her in front, of, uh, in front of quite a few other fast male runners that we know so really good times from all of them fantastic how about the blackout results Andrew French never heard of him never heard of him no Is idea that is... did I see him on Ninja Warrior the other day no, I think he I fell think... in the water was it Ninja Warrior I think it was Ninja Warrior it was on something yeah yeah what, what was the show no it wasn't Ninja Warrior it was a different show uh, Takeshi's Castle I'm not sure I, I, I'll be honest I tried to watch it but it was it was over so quick you blinked <laughs> I blinked and I missed him I heard he was on it yes uh, yeah so um, I felt like I said <laughs> poor old Andrew uh, bless him we went on to Beastmaster in America how'd that go for you mate Yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> so yes, he absolutely smashed Blackout. The only person to complete four laps. So well done to him. Got to be in it as well. So while we're mocking him, he put himself out there. And okay, I mean, it didn't go so well, but he did get a, a leotard out of it. Oh god, doesn't he look stunning in that leotard? God, I, I was considering applying for it, and then I saw they made you wear a costume. So I was like, not a chance. I have to say though, Andrew is a beast on that course. His obstacles have got so strong. Yeah, yeah, he's another. So one I wasn't one. a surprise to see him uh, mm-hmm. top of the blackout. So really good result, Andrew. Well done. Bit of a surprise to see him in the uh, in the water out there at Beastmaster, though. So maybe next time we'll get it. But yeah. Second place, Matthew Hutley. Another great runner with uh, three laps. I do know Matthew quite well. He's a very, very nice guy. And Isaac Ellard, who I'm not sure about. I do not know Isaac. I don't know if you do. No, not familiar with Isaac. No. And then if we pop down, familiar face Nikki Johnson of Team Phoenix. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so I'm assuming she was uh, the winner of the ladies' race. She always is, yeah. Always is. She's having some fantastic results. Every time we see her, she seems to be first. I think she won pretty much all of the nuts races this year that she entered. So, yeah, really well done to her. Uh, Josie Nye, who I believe also did nuts, but I may be wrong on that. She came second, so well done to her. And third place, Anne Agnell from DNA Bootcamp, who I uh, do not know, but very well done there. But nice to see some new names as well. Yeah, definitely. Which is good. Fantastic race. If you haven't done it, it's, uh, it's nice to have a race that's a little bit different. Blackout, you know, how many races, do, opportunities do we get now to, you know, do something a little bit different? So if you haven't picked up out your comfort zone, sign up for Blackout next time around. It's a... Definitely, it's a really, really cool little race, especially when you're running through the bunker. So a few other smaller races that we haven't mentioned yet, but absolutely worth mentioning. We've got the Pretty Muddy Race for Life, based in Ayrshire. So for those in Scotland that want to race, that's on the 29th of September. Um, and there's another uh, similar race, also Pretty Muddy Race, in Sandwell in the West Midlands on the same date. Yeah, then over to another one, we've got the big battle at Kelvin Hatch, Brentwood Essex, which is, I believe, the nuclear site. Ah, well, there we go. So, so slightly weird one just now in the corner from them. And then onto the Wolf Run at Pippingford Park. What a great venue. Love Pippingford. Really That's also 29th of September. So a lot of races happening on that day. Um, and Gung Ho as well in East Yorkshire. So lots of races taking place. Yeah, and then uh, on the 30th, the Sunday there, we've got another Wolf Run, a Muddy Mayhem, which is in Stockton-on-Tees. And another pretty muddy race for life in Finsby Park, London. And that's it for that weekend that we've got down. Fantastic. Now, on the community side... Community fundraising that needs your support. We have one charity or one community shout out I want to raise, but it's not for someone who, as far as I'm aware, is an OCR athlete, but we are looking for some support. Dassos is raising money for a charity on the GoFundMe website, and so it's for a headstone for someone called Jesse Nixon, who very unfortunately on 29th of November. 2017 died of sepsis. He was a dad of three, and we are trying to raise £4,000 towards a headstone for Jesse. It's a, a really sad story that I'm not sure as a dad if I can probably read out without getting emotional, so I won't. I, I'll put the link on the chat on the Facebook page and take a look at that. If you do want to support it, you can go to www.gofundme.com forward slash Jesse Nixon hyphen headstone I uh, will put a link in the Facebook group but a really worthy cause Dassos is running to raise money for that so you can have a look at the GoFundMe page if you want to support it Would they beat John? Today John Alban versus Rocky Balboa or Ricky Balboa if you Nick I'm defending John Alban and I'm defending Rocky Balboa thankfully because I'm definitely going to win this one I feel like if you're Rocky Balboa in this one you're not defending you're the aggressor right because you're coming for my crown here. Okay. That's what this is. That's good luck. Fun. Good luck. Look, I don't know how you could possibly think. I think John would even think he'd beat Rocky Balboa. So We're I, both world champions. I know you've got a little, uh, little argument planned here, so I'm going to throw you a curveball straight away. Go on then. And say last time when it was Mo Farah and I was defending him, 
we used John Alban's last race as the battleground. I'm quite happy with that. We can keep it. So, Rocky is now racing John Alban around toughest Oslo. Fine. I'm more than happy with that. Because Rocky was always someone that was... The, he was always the underdog. He reveled in being the underdog. You know, when he fought Apollo Creed, world champion, he beat him. No one expected it. He was Never out of him. Of course, it didn't matter. It doesn't need to be no one's heard of him at OCI. It doesn't matter. Everything that Rocky Balboa came across, he basically won. And he's trained in harsher conditions than John Alban. He's run, as if you haven't seen the film, he's run some distances and up lots of steps in searing Philadelphian heat oh. in a grey velour tracksuit. I'll be honest with you, the film was made a long time before I was born. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me explain to you for those that are familiar with it. He ran up 30 degree heat, Philadelphia Museum of Art steps in a grey, thick, velour tracksuit, head to toe, top and bottoms. He ran marathons in that kit. That's cute. But can he do it at a three-minute kilometre pace around Oslo? I think it, this is a bit like the uh, shirt or no shirt debate. I think he would just like John out on the start line. Take one look at Alboa and John's just going to go... I'm sure John's never seen a topless man on a start line before. Great point. I mean, he beat Ivan Drago. He'd probably, unlike Mo, he'd need a little bit of a run into this race. Sorry. Well, no, no. The rules <laughs> don't change week by week. There is no training in here. And who's Ivan Drago? He is a Russian boxer who took a lot of steroids and was basically undefeatable until he... No, this is like the John Alden debate. If you so were, you're... In, back in the day, you would have picked Ivan Drago and you would have said he would never... Rocky has no chance of beating him, but what happened? Rocky won. Rocky has trained in the cold <clears throat> mountains of Russia. I'm sure John's been to some chilly places. He's trained in the mountains of Krasnoyarsk in Siberia. I couldn't comment, couldn't speculate. I don't know John's travel plans all that well, but I'm sure he's been to some rather hilly places. I think John maybe has the slight advantage here of being a runner. Yeah, but okay, let me pick something you said last time against me, right, John. You said that John, has he ever really been challenged in obstacles? Would he fail under that <laughs> kind of pressure? I don't think he's going to be under any pressure to fail. <laughs> Rocky effectively ended the Cold War. <laughs> he did. He basically did. He was the catalyst. He was the, he was the person that thawed the relations that were essentially between the USA and the Soviet Union. He was the catalyst to preventing the Cold War. You know. What did they teach you in history? He's, he's an absolute athlete. He's a world champion. Also, he's like 90 years old now. Oh, you've got to talk about Rocky back in the day. I didn't realise that was a thing. It's definitely a thing. It's definitely. A That's thing. my second argument here. Is how old is he? <laughs> well, you might have me. You're facing it now. Uh... How old was Sylvester Stallone when he played Rocky? I don't know, but Rocky Balboa must have been in his mid thirties. I'm going to find out now. Because... Most athletes hit their prime in the mid thirties. John is in his prime. In. Oh, don't don't do this to me. He's there. <laughs> Not and a chance. If we're talking about obstacle racing, Rocky overcame more obstacles in his life. We always say there's no replacement for life training. Don't you go get an emotional for me? He did. Not he a, a bad chance. Childhood. His trainer had a heart attack. His dad, you know, never had a job. Poorly educated. Struggled through. Not a chance. Not a chance. So he's seventy-two years old now. I mean, obviously, you can't have him racing. <laughs> I don't think his prosthetic hip would allow him to. But take one look. I mean, look, look at that. You've got, you've got a picture in front of us now, Rocky Balboa. You have to say, John would look at that with his belt on, with his world champion. I, I would be more aroused than terrified, frankly. <laughs> well, look, okay, if John's aroused, it's not going to help his performance. Well, you never know, adrenaline spike. <laughs> <laughs> in the wrong places. Yeah. It, could be an, it could be an additional obstacle he has to overcome. He weighs 93 kilos and he's shorter than me. Sounds like Hunter McIntyre. Yeah, he hasn't beaten John. No, that's a good point. <laughs> but I like Rocky's a better athlete than Hunter McIntyre. But it shows how close it could be, right? 
It's not been close between Hunter and John. They're in different time zones. That's in different sub races they've been close. Which ones? World Champs USA, Spartan. (laughs) Pick one. (laughs) Which one do you want? Well, Google it. I'm pretty sure Hunter... I think Hunter's even beaten him at one of the US Spartan Worlds. That may well be the case, but this is tough as Oslo. Yeah, I mean, the course doesn't help me. But he wouldn't be scared of the mountains. I mean, John is... Oh, and John's terrified of the mountains, is he? Like, it's kind of some good races in the sky race, but it's not exactly the mountains of Krasnoyarsk in Siberia. You know, minus 30 conditions. You do know that that is a film. <laughs> <laughs> I just think, I, don't, I can't believe you would think John... John would say, well, look at what he'd just, just, he'd just melt. He wouldn't have it. I, I, I don't even know what to say at this point. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, how old was he? He was... 33? Prime. Prime age. So John's 29. Yeah. So even if I let you have that, I mean, which Rocky film are you picking here? Because John aside, world champs across the board in OCR, you know, Hunter in TMX, he's in his 30s. Ryan Atkins is in his 30s. You hit your prime in obstacle racing, I think, in your 30s. And even in a Killian, you know, Rob McKinnon, he's in his 30s. So they're all older athletes. And they still can't, they're in their prime and John's not, and they still can't beat him. Robert beat him at Spartan Worlds. This is tough as Oslo. This is tough, but they haven't raced up as Oslo, so you don't know who wins against Robert Kelly. I don't think I need to worry about that, do I? Well, no, not this. But the point <laughs> is, Rocky's in his prime. John isn't in his prime yet. I feel like this one's going to just be a dead heat. No one's going to, no one's going to win this one. Well, that's great. Speed. I don't need to give you an answer on that. I'll give you John on speed. Thank you. Unless it was obviously hand speed. But that's not so. Bad. Actually, you know what? I'll give you speed on running, but ninja. If you see Rocky's hand speed, Rocky on ninja wings would be rapid. No. And nunchucks. He would be rapid. You're assuming that he can hold 93 kilos in that position. Oh, he's pretty strong. Yeah, I'm sure he is, but it still has, you know, the use of having technique that needs to be worked on. Now, Mo Farah was not allowed a training day, so Rocky is not allowed a training day. All right, but I'm picking the Rocky on the day of the, after he's being Ivan Drago when he's in prime shape. Oh, so he's had the shit kicked out of him and off he goes. No, no, before, before, <laughs> then after. Before he I should have said, before this one, he's in the prime shape of his life. So that's the, that's the Rocky that's fighting this. But I'll tell you what, I'll give you speed for John because he can run at two. There's no giving me speed for John. No one beats yeah, John. Strength, no brainer. Obviously, Rocky. So we're already 1 1. Yeah, fine. You said there's be a walkover. It's not happening to be the case. <laughs> Endurance. Well, I would argue that boxing is one of the toughest endurance sports that there is to go 10 rounds and be pummeled to one inch of your life and still win a fight that is serious endurance in addition to that he can run a marathon in sub three hours in a grey vettel tracksuit in 30 plus conditions of the US or minus 30 conditions in Russia I'll give you that that is no mean feat I will also give you that the endurance needed for boxing is very different for the endurance needed for an 8 kilometer obstacle course race if eight kilometers, how much endurance do you need for Exactly. Endurance? So you can have the endurance. It's so you, need, you also need speed. So the equivalent we've got now would be Anthony, Anthony Joshua endurance versus... And I endurance. don't foresee Anthony Joshua beating John Alban well, in an obstacle race. He's no Balboa, but in terms of endurance... <laughs> in terms of endurance... <laughs> in terms of endurance... I think that's pretty much a dead heat. Should we call it a draw? We'll call it a draw. So it's one all. Obstacles, John. It has to be John. Although I do think Rocky would be rapid on the endurance because he's got serious hand speed. I mean, Platinum Rig, Flying Monkeys, yeah, I'll give, I'll, Salmon Ladder. I'll give you John okay. on that one. History? It's got to be Rocky. What? It's got to be Rocky. <laughs> what metric measure are you thinking that's Rocky? Double world champion. He's beaten guys on steroids. I mean... John's I'm sure John's beaten guys on steroids. I think we both know that. <laughs> no, the guy's in third place. He was never in. He's beaten him. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's had to overcome life obstacles. John moved to Norway. That can't be fun. 
He moved to Siberia to train. He went to Russia. He went on holiday. History is dictated ultimately by how well you remembered. And I think right now, Rocky Balboa is going to... Because he's a film character. (laughs) He was big as your legacy. For me, the legacy of Rocky Balboa will be greater than John's, even though John is a phenomenal actor. (laughs) The reason we're still arguing Rocky Balboa, even though he's 72 years old, is because of his history. So, John Elburn. Two times overall Sky winning champion. Yeah. One time league Sky winning champion. That may be the other way around, but whatever, that. Four time undisputed Obscorious world champion. Never been beaten. Never been beaten in a toughest race. Yeah. And but that counts for nothing. No, it counts for lots. And it counts for a lot against Mo Farah. So, you know, I'm so not, it equally counts I'm not for... it because that allowed him to beat Mo Farah. But we're talking about history. Yeah, and the history says that John's never lost. Fast forward, what is it? He's now 72, was 33. So fast forward, quick math, 39 years? Yeah. Would we be having this debate against the new runner and picking in John Alton? John Alton won't be around. We'd have forgotten about him. But we're still talking about Rocky Balboa. I didn't even know who Rocky Balboa was until an hour ago. Yeah, but listen, the audience will know. The audience will. You know he's a film star. You know he's he's a world champion. Fictional character. Fictional character. <laughs> I think he should win history. Unless we have another dead heat on it. I think it's got to be dead heat. Oh, I can't believe he had to heal on that. Alright, so we're still at one all, I mean. Yeah, we're still at one all. So next uh, no, sorry, John's won obstacles, so it's two all now. But I've put in a new category. Hard, you've put in a new category for yourself. You picked three categories last week and you Can I add in one character category you today? In, you can add in a category. Okay, okay, I'm gonna add next that one. One is heart slash determination. By your own admission, John's never really been pushed. Rocky always pushed, he's shown the heart of a lion, been knocked down, inch of his life, come back to win. Irritatingly got to give it to Rocky I kind of do but only because John's just the most chilled laid back guy I'm not saying he's not hungry I'm not saying he's not determined but at the same time he doesn't care he's just out for a fun time and a jog so I'll let you have that so it's too old yes I'm, just, you get the deciding category I do but I get to fight against it I don't know what to say yeah I, what? I mean I feel like you sound defeatist here James I'm not sounding defeatist I'm trying to fit a category that fits into both of them I'm trying to be fair I'm trying to give you a fighting. I don't want to just walk all over you. That's what this is. I think you've realised the overweight and suddenly gone, you know what? I wish I'd pick Rocky. Okay, okay, okay. Oslo, finish line, ski slope. Final obstacle. Well, John would win. That's my category. John wins. That means John won two in a row. Because we had John at speed and John on obstacles. Yeah. We two. We had Rocky on strength and heart. So Maybe I'm just not good at losing. I don't know what this deciding is. Deciding factors that run up the ski slope. I mean, I feel like you have to use it. It is the biggest part of that race. I'd love to see Rocky Balboa run up a ski slope. It'd have a heart attack. No, He's actually, 80 years old. I've given in too easy. Have you seen Rocky run up the stairs of the, the Philadelphia? Well, the kind of reason I kind of enjoyed it is because you were picking on that stairs thing so much at the oh, beginning. He absolutely rinses it and no one expects it. He does the whole jump at the top. He's amazing. Yeah, but John doesn't even have to jump at the top. He has to start warming up because he's just chilled so much on the way up. He's got cold. Reluctantly, because you were throwing in that challenge at the end, I'm going to give it to John. He's undefeated in two weeks. I thought Rocky was going to walk it this week. I mean, it was close. It was a lot closer than I think it would be. <clears throat> but Let us yeah. know what you think. Join the conversation. Okay, so last point this week is competition time. Competition time! Competition winner this week. It has to be, for all the, the mocking we've given him, Andrew French. Yes, yes, yes. Dick Andrew of the day. Andrew French, you are dick of the day. That was horrendous. For having the courage, I'm going to say. Having the courage <laughs> for going out there, putting himself out in a public... I'll, I'll take the courage bit, but only for squeezing himself into the leotard. 
my thing is, you know, it must be so hard to put yourself out there. You know, you've been watched by millions in a leotard on an obstacle course. That has got to be, you know, that's tough. I say kudos, and it shouldn't be anyone else for doing the same. I think fair play. Yeah. As much as I do love giving him a bit of stick. Didn't have the day. Yeah. But we are going to give Andrew French the, yeah. the shout-out competition winner. Well done for the longest three seconds of your life, mate. That was good effort. If you have anyone else you'd like to have a shout-out in competition time, put it in the Facebook group. Let us know who should be uh, who we should be mentioning and why. And yeah. uh, we'll get them involved. Give them a bit of uh, suitable abuse. Great, that just about finishes up for today. So yeah. thanks for tuning in. I'm going to make this last opportunity to say please like, share, and tell everyone else about it because we need people to listen to it for us to keep doing it. But yeah, cool. no, great day. Over now. OCR Disrupt podcast. If you want to join the conversation, check out the OCR Disrupt Facebook group and get involved in the debate. Till next time. Bye.